Section 88 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Crossing Sweepers That portion of the London street folk who earn a scanty living by sweeping crossings constitute a large class of the metropolitan poor. We can scarcely walk along a street of any extent or pass through a square of the least pretensions to gentility without meeting one or more of these private scavengers. Crossing sweeping seems to be one of those occupations which are resorted to as an excuse for begging, and indeed, as many expressed it to me, it was the last chance left of obtaining an honest crust. The advantages of crossing sweeping as a means of livelihood seem to be, first, the smallness of the capital required in order to commence the business, secondly the excuse the apparent occupation it affords for soliciting gratuities without being considered in the light of a street beggar and thirdly the benefits arising from being constantly seen in the same place and thus exciting the sympathy of the neighbouring householders till small weekly allowances or pensions are obtained the first curious point in connection with this subject is what constitutes the property so to speak in a crossing or the right to sweep a pathway across a certain thoroughfare a nobleman who has been one of her majesty's ministers whilst conversing with me on the subject of crossing sweepers expressed to me the curiosity he felt on the subject saying that he had noticed some of the sweepers in the same place for years what were the rights of property he asked in such cases and what constituted the title that such a man had to a particular crossing why did not the stronger sweeper supplant the weaker? Could a man bequeath a crossing to a son, or present it to a friend? How did he first obtain the spot? The answer is that crossing sweepers are, in a measure, under the protection of the police. If the accommodation afforded by a well-swept pathway is evident, the policeman on that district will protect the original sweeper of the crossing from the intrusion of a rival. I have indeed met with instances of men who before taking to a crossing have asked for and obtained permission of the police and one sweeper who gave me his statement had even solicited the authority of the inhabitants before he applied to the inspector at the station house if a crossing have been vacant for some time another sweeper may take to it but should the original proprietor again make his appearance the officer on duty will generally re-establish him. One man to whom I spoke had fixed himself on a crossing which for years another sweeper had kept clean on the Sunday morning only. A dispute ensued, the one claimant pleading his long Sabbath possession and the other his continuous everyday service. The quarrel was referred to the police, who decided that he who was oftener on the ground was the rightful owner, and the option was given to the former possessor that if he would sweep there every day, the crossing should be his. I believe there is only one crossing in London which is in the gift of a householder, and this proprietorship originated in a tradesman having, at his own expense, caused a paved footway to be laid down over the macadamised road in front of his shop, so that his customers might run less chance of dirtying their boots when they crossed over to give their orders some bankers however keep a crossing sweeper not only to sweep a clean path for the clients visiting their house but to open and shut the doors of the carriages calling at the house 
Concerning the causes which lead or drive people to this occupation, they are various. People take to crossing sweeping either on account of their bodily afflictions, depriving them of the power of performing ruder work, or because the occupation is the last resource left open to them of earning a living, and they considered even the scanty subsistence it yields preferable to that of the workhouse. The greater proportion of crossing sweepers are those who, from some bodily infirmity or injury, are prevented from a more laborious mode of obtaining their living. Among the bodily infirmities, the chief are old age, asthma, and rheumatism, and the injuries mostly consist of loss of limbs. Many of the rheumatic sweepers have been bricklayers' labourers. The classification of crossing sweepers is not very complex. They may be divided into the casual and the regular. By the casual, I mean such as pursue the occupation only on certain days in the week, as, for instance, those who make their appearance on the Sunday morning, as well as the boys who, broom in hand, travel about the streets, sweeping before the foot passengers or stopping an hour at one place, and then, if not fortunate, moving on to another. The regular crossing sweepers are those who have taken up their posts at the corners of streets or squares, and I have met with some who have kept to the same spot for more than 40 years. The crossing sweepers in the squares may be reckoned among the most fortunate of the class. With them, the crossing is a kind of stand where anyone requiring their services knows they may be found. These sweepers are often employed by the butlers and servants in the neighbouring mansions for running errands, posting letters, and occasionally helping in the packing up and removal of furniture or boxes when the family goes out of town. I have met with other sweepers who, from being known for years to the inhabitants, have at last got to be regularly employed at some of the houses to clean knives, boots, windows, and so on. It is not at all an unfrequent circumstance, however, for a sweeper to be in receipt of a weekly sum from some of the inhabitants in the district. The crossing itself is in these cases but of little value for chance customers, for were it not for the regular charity of the householders, it would be deserted. Broken victuals and old clothes also form part of a sweeper's means of living, nor are the clothes always old ones, for one or two of this class have for years been in the habit of having new suits presented to them by the neighbours at Christmas. The irregular sweepers mostly consist of boys and girls who have formed themselves into a kind of company and come to an agreement to work together on the same crossings. The principal resort of these is about Trafalgar Square, where they have seized upon some three or four crossings, which they visit from time to time in the course of the day. One of these gangs I found had appointed its king and captain, though the titles were more honorary than privileged. They had framed their own laws respecting each one's right to the money he took, and the obedience to these laws was enforced by the strength of the little fraternity. One or two girls whom I questioned told me that they mixed up ballad singing or lace selling with crossing sweeping, taking to the broom only when the streets were wet and muddy. These children are usually sent out by their parents and have to carry home at night their earnings. A few of them are orphans with a lodging house for a home. Taken as a class, crossing sweepers are among the most honest of the London poor. They all tell you that, without a good character and the respect of the neighbourhood, there is not a living to be got out of the broom. 
Indeed, those whom I found best to do in the world were those who had been longest at their posts. Among them are many who have been servants until sickness or accident deprived them of their situations, and nearly all of them have had their minds so subdued by affliction that they have been tamed so as to be incapable of mischief. The earnings, or rather takings, of crossing sweepers are difficult to estimate, generally speaking, that is, to strike the average for the entire class. An erroneous idea prevails that crossing sweeping is a lucrative employment. All whom I have spoken with agree in saying that, some thirty years back, it was a good living, but they bewail piteously the spirit of the present generation. I have met with some who in former days took their three pounds weekly, and there are but few I have spoken to who would not, at one period, have considered fifteen shillings a bad week's work. But now the takings are very much reduced. The man who was known to this class as having been the most prosperous of all, for, from one nobleman alone, he received an allowance of seven shillings and sixpence weekly, assured me that twelve shillings a week was the average of his present gains, taking the year round, whilst the majority of the sweepers agree that a shilling is a good day's earnings. A shilling a day is the very limit of the average incomes of the London sweepers, and this is rather an over than an under calculation. For although a few of the more fortunate, who are to be found in the squares or main thoroughfares, or opposite the public buildings, may earn their twelve or fifteen shillings a week, yet there are hundreds who are daily to be found in the by-streets of the metropolis, who assert that eightpence a day is their average taking, and indeed, in proof of their poverty, they refer you to the workhouse authorities, who allow them certain quartern loaves weekly. The old stories of delicate suppers and stockings full of money have in the present day no foundation of truth. The black crossing sweeper, who bequeathed £500 to Miss Waithman, would almost seem to be the last of the class whose earnings were above his positive necessities. Lastly, concerning the numbers belonging to this large class, we may add that it is difficult to reckon up the number of crossing sweepers in London. There are few squares without a couple of these pathway scavengers, and in the more respectable squares, such as Cavendish or Portman, every corner has been seized upon. Again, in the principal thoroughfares, nearly every street has its crossing and attendant. 1. Of the adult crossing sweepers. A. The able-bodied sweepers. The elder portion of the London crossing sweepers admit, as we have before said, of being arranged, for the sake of perspicuity, into several classes. I shall begin with the able-bodied males, then proceed to the females of the same class and afterwards deal with the able-bodied Irish, male and female, who take to the London causeways for a living. This done, I shall then in due order take up the afflicted or crippled class, and finally treat of the juveniles belonging to the same calling. 1. The Able-Bodied Male Crossing Sweepers Part 1 The Aristocratic Crossing Sweeper Billy is the popular name of the man who for many years has swept the long crossing that cuts off one corner of Cavendish Square, making a shortcut from Old Cavendish Street to the Duke of Portland's mansion. Billy is a merry, good-tempered kind of man, with a face as red as a love apple, and cheeks streaked with little veins. His hair is white, and his eyes are as black and bright as a terrier's. He can hardly speak a sentence without finishing it off with a moist chuckle 
His clothes have that peculiar look which arises from being often wet through, but still they are decent and far above what his class usually wear. The hat is limp in the brim from being continually touched. The day when I saw Billy was a wet one, and he had taken refuge from a shower under the Duke of Portland's stone gateway. His tweed coat, torn and darned, was black about the shoulders with the raindrops, and his boots grey with mud. But he told me, it was no good trying to keep clean shoes such a day as that, cause the blacking come off in the puddles. Billy is well up in the court guide. He continually stopped in his statement to tell whom my Lord B. married, or where my Lady C. had gone to spend the summer, or what was the title of the Marquis so-and-so's eldest boy. He was very grateful, moreover, to all who had assisted him, and would stop looking up at the ceiling, and God-blessing them all, with a species of religious fervour. His regret that the good old times had passed, when he made hats full of money, was unmistakably sincere and when he had occasion to allude to them, he always delivered his opinion upon the late war, calling it a cut-and-run affair, and saying that it was nothing at all put alongside with the old war, when the halfpence and silver coin were twice as big and twenty times more plentiful than during the late campaign. Without the least hesitation, he furnished me with the following particulars of his life and calling. I was born in London, in Cavendish Square, and he added, laughing. I ought to have a title, for I first came into the world at number three, which was Lord Bessborough's then. My mother went there to do her work, for she chaired there, and she was took sudden and couldn't go no further. She couldn't have chosen a better place, could she? You see, I was born in Cavendish Square, and I've worked in Cavendish Square, sweeping a crossing, for now near upon fifty year. Until I was nineteen, I'm sixty-nine now, I used to sell water creases, but they felled off, and then I dropped it. Both mother and myself sold water creases after my Lord Bessborough died, and whilst he lived, she wouldn't leave him, not for nothing. We used to do uncommon well at one time. There wasn't nobody about then as there is now. I've sold flowers too. They was very good then. They was mostly show carnations and moss roses and such like, but no common flowers. It wouldn't have done for me to sell common things at the houses I used to go to. The reason why I took to a crossing was I had an old father and I didn't want him to go to the workus. I didn't wish too to do anything bad myself and I never would, no sir, for I've got as good a character as the first nobleman in the land and that's a fine thing, ain't it? So, as water creases had fell off till they wasn't a living to me, I had to do summat else to help me to live. I saw the crossing sweepers in Westminster making a deal of money, so I thought to myself, I'll do that and I fixed upon Cavendish Square, because, I said to myself, I'm known there, it's where I was born, and there I set to work. The very first day I was at work, I took ten shillings. I never asked nobody, I only bowed my head and put my hand to my hat, and they knowed what it meant. By jingo, when I took that there, I thought to myself, what a fool I've been to stop at water creases. For the first ten year, I did uncommon well. Give me the old-fashioned way. They were good times then. I like the old-fashioned way. Give me the old penny pieces, and then the eighteen penny pieces, and the three shilling pieces, and the seven shilling pieces. Give me them, I says. The day the old halfpence and silver was cried down, that is, the old coin was called in to change the currency, my hat wouldn't hold the old silver and halfpence I was given that afternoon. 
I had such a lot, upon my word, they broke my pocket. I didn't know the money was altered, but a fishmonger says to me, "Have you got any old silver?" I said, "Yes, I've got a hat full," and then says he, "Take 'em down to Coutts's and change 'em." I went, and I was nearly squeeged to death. That was the first time I was like to be killed, but I was nigh killed again when Queen Caroline passed through Cavendish Square after her trial. They took the horses out of her carriage and pulled her along. She kept a chucking money out of the carriage, and I went and scrambled for it, and I got five and twenty shilling, but my hand was a nigh smashed through it. And, says a friend of mine, before I went, Billy, says he, don't you go, and I was sorry after, I did. She was a good woman, she was. The Yallers, that is, the King's party, was a ginner, and pulled up the paving stones when her funeral passed, but the blues was for her. I can remember, too, the mob at the time of the Lord Castlereagh riots. They went to Portman Square and broke all the winders in the house. They pulled up all the rails to protect themselves with. I went to the Bishop of Durham's and hid myself in the coal cellar then. My mother chaired there, too. The Bishop of Durham and Lord Harcourt opened their gates and hurrahed the mob, so they had nothing of theirs touched. But whether they did it through fear or not, I can't say. The mob was carrying a quartan loaf dipped in bullock's blood, and when I saw it, I thought it was a man's head. So that frightened me, and I ran off. I remember, too, when Lady Pembroke's house was burnt to the ground. That's about eighteen years ago. It was very lucky the family wasn't in town. The housekeeper was a nigh killed, and they had to get her out over the stables. And when her ladyship heard she was all right, she said she didn't care for the fire, since the old dame was saved and she had lived along with the family for many years. No, bless you, sir. I didn't help at the fire. I'm too much of a coward to do that. All the time the Duke of Portland was alive, he used to allow me seven shillings sixpence a week, which was a shilling a day, and one shilling sixpence for Sundays. He was a little short man, and a very good man he was too, and it weren't only me as he gave money to, but to plenty others. He was the best man in England for that. Lord George Bentinck, too, was a good friend to me. He was a great racer, he was, and then he turned to be a member of Parliament, and then he made a good man, they tell me. But he never come to my crossing without giving me something. He was at the corner of Holly Street, he was, and he never put foot on my crossing without giving me a sovereign. Perhaps he wouldn't cross more than once or twice a month, but when he come my way, that was his money. Ah, he was a nice feller, he was. When he give it to he always put it in my hand. I never let nobody see it, and that's the way I like to have my fee give me. There's Mrs. D, too, as lived at number six. She was a good friend of mine, and always allowed me a suit of clothes a year. But she's dead, good lady, now. Dr. C and his lady, they likewise was very kind friends of mine, and gave me every year clothes and new shoes, and blankets. I and a bed, too, if I had wanted it. But now they're all dead, down to the coachman. The doctor's old butler, Mr. K, he gave me twenty-five shillings the day of the funeral, and says he, Bill, I'm afraid this will be the last. Poor good friends they was, all of them, and I did feel cut up when I see the hearse going off. There was another gentleman, Mr. W. T, who lives in Harley Street. He never come to me without giving me half a crown. He was a real good gentleman, but I haven't seen him for a long time now, and perhaps he's dead too. All my friends is dropping off. I'm fifty-five, and they was men when I was a boy. All the good gentlemen's gone, only the bad ones stop. Another friend of mine is Lord B. He always drops me a shilling when he come by, and says he, 
You don't know me, but I knows you, Billy ; but I do know him, for my mother worked for the family many a year, and considering I was bom in the house, I think to myself, if I don't know you, why I ought. He's a handsome, stout young chap, and as nice a gentleman as any in the land. One of the best friends I had was Prince E , as lived there in Chandos street, the bottom house yonder. I had five sovereigns give me the day as he was married to his beautiful wife. Don't you remember what a talk there was about her diamonds, sir? They say she was kivered in them. He used to put his hand in his pocket and give me two or three shillings every time he crossed. He was a gentleman as was uncommon fond of the gals, sir. He'd go and talk to all the maid servants round about, if they was only good-looking. I used to go and ring the hairy bells for him, and tell the gals to go and meet him in Chapel Street. God bless him. I says he was a pleasant gentleman, and a regular good'un for a bit of fun, and always looking lively and smiling. I see he's got his old coachman yet, though the prince doesn't live in England at present, but his son does, and he always gives me a half-crown when he comes by too. I gets a pretty fine lot of Christmas boxes, but nothing like what I had in the old times. Prince E always gives me half a crown, and I goes to the butler for it. Pretty near all my friends gives me a box, them as knows me, and they say, here's your Christmas box, Billy. Last Christmas Day I took thirty-six shillings, and that was pretty fair. But bless you, in the old times I've had my hat full of money. I tells you again, I've have had as much as five pounds in old times, all in old silver and halfpence. That was in the old war, and not this runaway shabby affair. Every Sunday I have sixpence regular from Lord H, whether he's in town or not. I goes and fetches it. Mrs. D of Harley Street, she gives me a shilling every Sunday when she's in town, and the parents as knows me gives halfpence to their little girls to give me. Some of the little ladies says, here, that will do you good. No, it's only pennies, for sixpences is out of fashion, and thank God for the coppers, though they are little. I generally, when the people's out of town, take about two shillings or two shillings sixpence on the Sunday. Last Sunday I only took one shilling threepence, but then you see it come on to rain, and I didn't stop. When the town's full, three people alone gives me more than that. In the season I take five shillings safe on a Sunday, or perhaps six shillings, for you see it's all like a lottery. I should like you to mention Lady Mildmay in Grosvenor Square, sir. Whenever I goes to see her, but you know I don't go often, I'm safe for five shillings, and at Christmas I have my regular salary, a guinea. She's a very old lady, and I've known her for many and many years. When I goes to my lady, she always comes out to speak to me at the door, and says she, Oh, tis Willie, and how do you do, Willie? And she always shakes hands with me, and laughs away. Ah, she's a good, kind creature. There's no pride in her whatsoever, and she never sacks her servants. My crossing has been a good living to me and mine. It's kept the whole of us. Ah, in the old time, I dare say I've made as much as three pounds a week regular by it. Besides, I used to have lots of broken victuals, and I can tell you I knowed where to take em to. Ah, I've had as much food as I could carry away, and regular good stuff, chicken, and some things I couldn't guess the name of, they was so Frenchified. When the families is in town, I gets a good lot of food given me. But you know, when the nobility and gentlemen are away, the servants is on board wages, and cuss them board wages, I says. I buried my father and mother as a son ought to. Mother was seventy-three, and father was sixty-five. Good round ages, ain't they, sir? I shall never live to be that. They are lying in St. John's Wood Cemetery, along with many of my brothers and sisters, which I have buried as well. I've only two brothers living now, and poor fellows, they're not very well to do. 
It cost me a good bit of money. I pay 2s. 6d. a year for keeping up the graves of each of my parents, and 1s. 2d. for my brothers. There was the Earl of Gainsborough, as I should like you to mention as well, please, sir. He lived in Chandos Street, and was a particular nice man and very religious. He always gave me a shilling and a tract. Well, you see, I did often read the tract. They was all religious, and about where your souls was to go to. Very good, you know, what there was, very good. And he used to buy em wholesale at a little shop, corner of High Street, Marabun. He was a very good, kind gentleman, and gave away such a deal of money that he got regular known, and the little beggar girls followed him at such a rate that he was at last forced to ride about in a cab to get away from them. He's many a time said to me when he stopped to give me my shilling, Billy, is any of them a-following me? He was safe to give to everybody as asked him, but you see, it worried his soul out, and it was a kind soul too, to be followed about by a mob. When all the families is in town, I has fourteen shillings a week regular as clockwork from my friends as lives round the square, and when they're away, I don't get sixpence a day, and sometimes I don't get a penny a day, and that's less. You see, some of them, like my Lord B, is out eight months in the year, and some of them, such as my Lord H, is only three. Then Mrs. D, she's away three months, and then she always gives one shilling a week regular when she's up in London. I don't take four shillings a week on the crossing. Ah, uh, I wish you'd give me four shillings for what I take. No, I make up by going off errands. I runs for the families and the servants, and any of them. Sometimes he sends me to a banker's with a cheque. Bless you, they'd trust me with anything, if it was a hatful. I've had a lot of money trusted to me at times. At one time I had as much as eighty-three pounds to carry for the Duke of Portland. Aye, that was a go, that was. You see, the hall porter had had it give to him to carry to the bank, and he gets me to do it for him. But the valet heard of it, so he wanted to have a bit of fun, and he wanted to put the hall porter in a funk. I met the valet in Holborn, and says he, Bill, I want to have a lark. So he kept me back, and I did not get back till one o'clock. The hall porter offered five pounds reward for me, and sends the police. But Mr. Freebrother, Lord George's wallet, he says, I'll make it all right, Billy. They sent up to my poor old people, and says father, Billy wouldn't rob anybody of a nightcap, much more eighty pounds. I met the policeman in Holborn, and says he, I want you, Billy. And says I, all right, here I am. When I got home, the hall porter says he, Oh, I am a dead man, where's the money? And says I, it's lost. Oh, it's the Duke's, not mine, says he. Then I pulls it out, and says the porter, It's a lark of free brothers. So he gave me two pounds, to make it all right. That was a game. And the whole porter says he, I really thought you was gone, Billy. But says I, If everybody carried as good a face as I do, everybody would be as honest as any in Cavendish Square. I had another lark at the Bishop of Durham's. I was a-cleaning the knives, and a swell mobsman, with a green baize bag, came down the steps, and says he to me, Is Mr. Lewis the butler in? He'd got the name off quite pat. No, says I, he's upstairs. Then says he, Can I step into the pantry? Oh, yes, says I, and shows him in. Bless you, he was so well dressed, I thought he was a master shoemaker or something. But as all the plate was there, thinks I, I'll just lock the door to make safe. So I fastens him in tight, and keeps him there till Mr. Lewis comes. No, he didn't take none of the plate, for Mr. Lewis come down, and then, as he didn't know nothing about him, we had in a policeman. When we finds his bag was stuffed with silver teapots and all sorts of things from my Lord Musgraves. 
Says Mr. Lewis, you did quite right, Billy. It wasn't a likely thing I was going to let anybody into a pantry crammed with silver. There was another chap who had prigged a lot of plate. He was an old man and had a bag crammed with silver and was a cutting away with lots of people after him. So I puts my broom across his legs and tumbles him. And when he got up, he cut away and left the bag. Ah, I've seen a good many games in my time, that I have. The butler of the house the plate had been stole from gave me two pounds for doing him that turn. Once a gentleman called me and says he, My man, how long have you been in this square? Says I, I'm Billy and been here almost all my life. Then he says, Can I trust you to take a cheque to Scott the banker? And I answers, That's as you like, for I wasn't going to press him. It was a heavy cheque for Mr. Scott as knows me well. Aye, well he do. Says, Billy, I can't give you all in notes. You must stop a bit. It nearly filled the bag I had with me. I took it all safe back, and says he, Ah, I knowed it would be all right, and he give me a half sovereign. I should like you to put these things down, cause it's a fine thing for my character, and I can show my face with any man for being honest. That's one good thing. I pays four shillings a week for two rooms, one up and one down, for I couldn't live in one room. I come to work always near eight o'clock, for you see it takes me some time to clean the knives and boots at Lord B's. I get sometimes a shilling and sometimes one shilling sixpence a week for doing that, and glad I am to have it. It's only for the servants I does it, not for the quality. When I does anything for the servants, it's either cleaning boots and knives or putting letters in the post. That's it. Anything of that kind. They gives me just what they can, a penny or tuppence or half a pint of beer when they hadn't got any coppers. Sometimes I gets a few left-off clothes, but very seldom. I have two suits a year give me regular, and I goes to a first-rate tailor for em, though they don't make the prime, of course not. Yet they're very good. Now this coat I liked very well when it was new. It was so clean and tidy. No, the tailor don't show me the pattern books and that sort of thing. He knows what's wanted. I won't never have none of them washing duck breeches. That's the only thing as I refuses, and the tailor knows that. I looks very nice after Christmas, I can tell you, and I've always got a good tidy suit for Sundays, and God bless them as gives them to me. Every Sunday I gets a hot dinner at Lord B's, whether he's out of town or in town, that's summit. I gets bits too give me, so that I don't buy a dinner, no, not once a week. I pays four shillings a week rent, and I dare say my food, morning and night, cost me a shilling a day. I am sure it does, morning and night. At present I don't make twelve shillings a week. But take the year round, one week with another, it might come to thirteen shillings or fourteen shillings a week I gets. Yes, I'll own to that. Christmas is my best time. Then I gets more than a pound a week. Now I don't take four shillings a week on my crossing. Many's the time I've made my breakfast on a penn'orth of coffee with a halfpenny slice of bread and butter. What do you think of that? Wet weather does all the harm to me. People, you see, don't like to come out. I think I've got the best side of the square, and you see my crossing is a long one, and saves people a deal of ground, for it cuts off the corner. It used to be a famous crossing in its time. Ha, <laughs> but that's gone. I always uses what they calls the brush brooms. That's them with the flat head like a house broom. I can't abide them others. They don't look well, and they wears out ten times as quick as mine. I general buys the eights, that's tenpence apiece, and finds my own handles. A broom won't last me more than a fortnight. It's such a long crossing. But when it was paved, afore this mucky dam, note, macadamising, end note, was turned up, a broom would last me a full three months. 
I can't abide this mucky dam. Can you, sir? It's sloppy stuff and goes so bad in holes. Give me the good solid stones as used to be. I does a good business round the square when the snow's on the ground. I general does each house at so much a week whilst it snows. Hardwick's give me a shilling. I does only my side and that next Oxford Street. I don't go to the others unless somebody comes and orders me, for fair play is fair play, and they belongs to the other sweepers. I does my part and they does theirs. It's seldom as I has a shop to sweep out, and I don't do nothing with shutters. I'm getting too old now for to be called in to carry boxes up gentlemen's houses, but when I was young I found plenty to do that way. There's a man at the corner of Chandos Street, and he does the most of that kind of work. End of section 88